Great. So how's everyone today? Pretty good. Good. Glad to hear it. Um, any questions about um, anything for this week? Okay, good. Uh, so today we're going to be jumping into Wojtzek, Wojtzek and working on that play. Um, and so this play wasn't performed until about 80 years after it initially was produced. And the the initial manuscript, it was 27 scenes. Um, no one knows exactly what order those scenes are in. So the order you're seeing is a guess. I mean, we, we can imagine that, you know, the scenes in which Marie is dead come after the scenes in which Marie <laughs> are, is alive. Um, but the scenes were kind of a jumble. Um, much later, in, into the 20th century, when this you know this play was first performed, uh, the the modernist musician Alban Berg uh, produced a opera of this play called Wojzek, W O Z Z E C K, which people thought was the original name of this. Um, there was a typo, and what Berg did was he worked in what was known as an atonal modernist style, uh, developed by his teacher Arnold Schoenberg. This atonal style. Uh, doesn't have a harmonic home for the music. So if you think of a, a song in, let's say, C or something like that, the, the thing that completes the, the musical idea usually is a return to the C chord in some way, right? Or if the song's in D or something like that, or even if it's in a, a minor chord, you know, D minor, then D minor is, is the home, it's the return. Um, or D in that case, even if it's melancholy. But with the atonal music, there is means of establishing kind of locality in the music, but really it's, it's very different, it's very strange. And Berg saw this music as being necessary to highlight really elements of, of Buchner's play and, and you know, what, what Buchner was uh, was trying to do. And what I want to figure out this week in our discussion of, of Buchner is um, why? Why does this play seem so modern to us? Um, if it does seem modern to you guys, uh, or why did somebody like Berg coming along, you know, 80 years after the fact, he staged it, I think in 1915, um, feel that he had to work through a new compositional style in order to to bring this play into onto the stage um and so let's that's what we're going to kind of discuss that's what we're going to try and figure out this week is uh is what's the deal with this <laughs> with this play and with the feel and why it's so different and why it breaks apart from from other plays but let me start with a little bit on um, George Buchner himself. So Buchner was born in 1813 in the Grand Duchy of Hesse in um, 
1834, he was a young radical, a young German radical. And in 1834, he, with a, with a fellow writer, published the Hessian Courier. And in that Hessian Courier, it was a, a pamphlet attacking the aristocracy in favor of the peasant class. And it was sort of a um, revolution to the aristocracy and the bourgeoisie, um, peace to the peasant class. And one of the, the people he worked with, uh, the person he worked with, was imprisoned, tortured, and died there. Uh, Buchner, however, he escaped to Zurich and um, decided that political radicalism, you know, wasn't for him. Was This wasn't the time for political radicalism. And so in Zurich, he worked on other things. He worked on a play called Nanton's Death. Um, he wrote part of a novel called Lenz, uh, which is based on a friend of the German, of Goethe, the German poet Goethe. Um, he wrote uh, another play as well, titled, I have the title here, uh, Leon and Lina. And towards the end of his life, he wrote a fragment called Wojciech. Um, he became a doctor, a scientist. He got his, his degree and began to study science, um, working at the University of Zurich. Um, but he died of typhoid a few months after his 23rd birthday. Uh, when he died, he, amongst his artifacts were a collection of scenes in no particular order, um, which were called Voidsec. And the paper on it was very faded, and the print he apparently was um, famous for writing extremely small. And so it was a while before this play was kind of rediscovered, and it was rediscovered later in the 19th century and published in, in periodicals. Um, and this is where we get the famous misprint, uh, W-O-Z-Z-E-C-K as opposed to W-O-Y. The play itself is based on what was a famous case back in that day of a German soldier who had murdered his wife. And so this is somewhat based on the, the event of the murder is true. And the fact that there was somebody named Wojciech, it was, I think, Josef Wojciech instead of Franz, but what's in a name? Um, that's true. And then the rest of it is, uh, is Buchner. And so what we have then is a collection of scenes. Scholars try and put the scenes together in the best way they can. Um, and there we go. Uh, often people working in the 20th century, especially the early, 20, early 20th century and mid 20th century, look to Buchner as an influence. Brecht saw Buchner as an influence. Um, Buchner is kind of uh, each scene sort of standing on its own, that quality the play has was something that inspired Brecht. And he, he, his idea of epic theater was really based in this epic theater being each scene kind of stands out on its own. Um, there's a, there is a plot overall, but you have a scene that does something that stands out and that the, the play is a, is fragmented as a bunch of different scenes that takes place over a long period of time. Um, and Brecht felt that was uh, the best way to kind of uh, uh, 
engage his audience in a politically conscious way as opposed to an empathetic way, as, as we talked about before. But this this play and its fragmented style was an inspiration for Brecht. It's also an inspiration for the Theater of the Absurd People. Um, Theater of the Absurd, also a movement of, um, movement of the more mid-20th century, so 1950s, 1960s. Uh, anybody read Beckett or, or Waiting for Godot or seen it? Okay. Well, Waiting for Godot is probably, Waiting for Godot is from the early 1950s. And that's probably the, the most famous of the theory of the absurd plays. And that's what uh, was also an, an inspiration. Uh, or, I'm sorry, Buchner was also an inspiration for people like that. And, um, you know, Albert Camus, if anybody's heard of Camus, and the myth of Sisyphus was his novel that, that also touched on these ideas. And the theater of the absurd is, is kind of based on this idea that we are out of harmony with the world in which we live. Um, so this play recognizes man and, and mankind, humankind, as being out of sync with nature. So nature is out of sort, and the human condition itself, its main attribute is senselessness. You know, so the, the human condition is based in senselessness. There's no meaning there. There's no greater greater purpose. Um, and that's what Godot, Waiting for Godot does, and that's what a lot of theater of the absurd does. And again, that, that is linking back to this play that was written um, probably in the late 1930s. So Buchner dies in uh, 37, I believe, and it was found at that time. So, you know, uh, so yeah, so that was that that idea that comes out in the 50s and 60s, uh, really beginning in the 1940s. Um, Buchner is experimenting with these ideas very early. So let's get into it a little bit. And that's just kind of a background there. And uh, a sort of a reception history of Buchner as well. He was uh, very popular. I think Max Reinhardt, the experimental director, staged the first production of Wojciech. Um Berg, the experimental uh, music uh, composer, did the opera of Wojciech. So let's look at the play itself and try and understand its its outsized influence. Um, so let's start with, with the plot, just the plot. Can somebody summarize what happens in this play? Um, so basically you have uh, Wojciech, or however you mm -hmm. say his name. Yeah, Franz Wojciech. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay, and then um, there's pretty much a bunch of kind of irrelevant stuff that happens at the beginning, but his wife, Mary, cheats on him, and then he kills her. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> he, he has a wife. She They have a, an, an illegitimate child together. So I'm not sure if they're married at the time of the play, but they certainly weren't married when they had the child. Um, and then, yeah, she cheats on him with the drum major. Um so all the characters who are not Wojciech or Marie 
don't have names. They're just positions. And she treats on him with the drum major and, and Andre, his friend Andre has a name. Uh, and then he, he kills her, throws the razor away, and then the play ends. And, you know, it's important to know that the play is a fragment. He, he didn't finish it. Buchner didn't finish it. Okay, good. Um, so we have the, uh, the plot there. What are some, uh, what are your guys' initial responses to this, this play? Um, I thought it was kind of really confusing, especially like around the middle, like the very beginning was easier to follow. And then basically towards the end, I was just really confused because it kept cutting scenes mm-hmm. and like, it would just switch from one scene to another without any type of like, I don't know, like lead into that next scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That You're picking up on the style. Certainly. There's just scenes next to each other, right? And each scene has almost the quality of being a play unto itself. The the parts of the plot that carry through, let's see if we could kind of list them out, just to understand, you know, how or why the um, this translator, who is Carl Richard Mueller, uh, why, why good old Carl decided to order the scenes as he did. So we have a few things that happened. First of all, Marie cheats on him and is killed. So you have to kind of get those scenes in order. What also is happening in Wojciech's life that that can be described as a progression of things? Um, well, he's being used as an experiment by mm-hmm. the doctor. And, like, he's eating only peas for some reason. Yeah, exactly. So there's an experiment being conducted on him, which he's doing to make money. Okay, good. And that that's kind of one of the other things. Is there anything else in which we can kind of follow, his, you know, see as a progressive action? I don't, I, I'm sort of agreeing with your collective silence. I don't think there is. So I think what you're seeing really is um, maybe psychological proge- progression or intellectual progression. Um, but in terms of the actions, what's happening in this play is we know Marie is seduced by the drum major and, and goes to bed with him. And Wojciech is uh, being experimented on by the doctor. All right. So, yeah, that that is that. And everything else is kind of these scenes pushed together or arranged in some way. It's almost like scenes from a life of Wojciech as opposed to uh, a play in the way um, when we did Nathan the Wise, right, where it's, it's a clear arc of development moving towards um, m- moving towards this kind of reconciliation end. Here it's just kind of these collections of scenes until Marie gets killed. So let's talk about Wojciech himself. So what do, what do we think about this character? What's his station? Um, well, he was a soldier. So there's that. But um, at first I thought that 
he was like pretty nice like and like kind of quiet because all he would say in the first like two pages was yes sir captain and then like he progressively got more and more like aggressive just like the peas mm-hmm. made him i guess <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> the peas peas probably didn't help i would say a diet of yeah. only peas is not contributing to psychological health uh so okay, so he's he's quiet, and Christina, you see him as um as slowly going deranged. What what is the uh, what's your overall? Well, he, seemed like, he seemed like pretty humble at the beginning, and mm-hmm. he was just like, "Oh, I'm just a poor person. Like, I have no like purpose. Basically, like, I'm just here. Like, and then um I don't know. Like, as the play went on, he just like i don't know i guess his dialogue kind of changed and he just got more like it almost seemed like he got more sure of himself but he also got kind of crazy mm-hmm. and like he was imagining him like killing people and stuff like that mm-hmm. yeah okay so all right good yeah as he's going along he's becoming more um dissociative all right any other responses to what type of person he is what type of um, maybe I'll make a, ask a more specific question. What do you think of his his intellect? How does he see the world? Well, I thought that he seen the world as like if you didn't have status, you really didn't mean anything in the world. Because I know with the conversation with the captain, he was talking about how um, I they brought up something about like with God. I'm not sure. I'm I'm blanking right now, but uh, that whole conversation it made it seem like you know I I'm poor. I I mean nothing to God or to anyone in the world. So I feel like he had a different. Um, like reaction to the world. Okay. Yeah, and I I think what you're you're getting at is is right on, which is the this idea of I'm poor. I don't mean very much to the world, right? That kind of concept. Um, and we could see that you know right away from um, you know, right away from the the beginning of the uh of the play uh this is scene one so he is what we know here is he's a barber right and he's shaving the captain and um you know he he's saying in this is the second page so page 110 of your pdf um captain sir the good lord's not going to look at a poor worm just because they said amen over it before they went at it. The Lord said, suffer the little children to come unto me. The captain responds. So the poor worm is is the child, right? He has um, a, a child out of wedlock. And so, you know, the captain is criticizing him for that. And he says, yeah, the, the Lord's not going to look at the poor worm just because they said amen over it before they went at it. Uh, and the captain responds, What's that you say? What kind of strange answer is that? You're confusing me with your answers. Voidsec. 
It's us poor people that... You see, Captain, sir, money, money. Whoever hasn't got money? Well, who's got morals when he's bringing something like me into the world? We're flesh and blood, too. Our kind is miserable only once, in this world and in the next. I think if we ever get to heaven, we'd have to help with the thunder. And then the captain responds, Voidsek, you have no virtue. You're not a virtuous human being. Flesh and blood. Dot, dot, dot. He goes on and on. Um, and and the captain then screams out, Voidsek, virtue, virtue. Dot, dot, dot. Then Voidsek's response, Yes, captain, sir. Virtue. I haven't got much of that. You see, us common people, we haven't got virtue. That's the way it's got to be. But if I could be a gentleman, and if I could have a hat, and a watch, and a cane, and if I could talk refined, I'd want to be virtuous all right. There must be something beautiful in virtue, Captain Sir, but I'm just a poor good-for-nothing. Yeah. So, there's a, a little bit of understanding, or a little bit of comment, on the intersection of virtue and class. So can somebody unpack that little bit for me? Again, that's page 110 in your PDF. What is, um, what's, so there's a few things going on. There's initially uh, Wojciech's comment about, about church and his, his child. There's Wojciech's comment about, um, about heaven and the next world. And then there's his kind of philosophy of virtue. So let's go through those things. What is, uh, what is the, um, what's the problem that he's bringing up about uh, the baptism, right? Or the the fact that the child is uh, is out of wedlock. Or any of it, All right? There's a lot going on there. Or the, the end part of the scene, the part about virtue, right? He's able to, he's saying that um, if I could be a gentleman, I'd want to be virtuous. There must be something beautiful in virtue. So what does that mean? Okay, so is virtue, what is virtue then in this? What do we get from that one scene as to what does it mean to be virtuous? Well, you want to do the right thing. Okay. 
And so the captain has set up um, the captain and then the captain by reporting on what the the priest said, um, the, the excuse me, the chaplain, what the chaplain said has set up a standard as to what the right thing is. And so what is the right thing in terms of this scene? Is it to get married before you have a child? Yeah. Right, there's this idea that you should get married before you have a child. And that is going to be, that's going to be the right thing. So yeah, so that that's the uh, the the right thing in this play, um, and what is uh, Wojtek's response? Wojtek's response is that doesn't really matter, and why doesn't it matter? Because he's poor. Because he's poor. So virtue is associated with class. It's something that a gentleman does. It kind of comes along with having a nice cane, having, um, you know, a nice cane. I, you know, you, it, that was probably the style of the time. But having nice clothes, having, um, having a lot of beauty, right? Virtue is something that is beautiful. It isn't something that is widely dispersed. Okay, so that that's kind of what's going on in terms of this first this first scene, and so you have a kind of a subversion here of expectations. Virtue is supposed to be, uh, you know, a, a universal thing, something everybody has access to. Maybe not everybody has access to money or resources. Certainly not everybody has access to money or resources, but everybody does have access to virtue right you could you could always live well however what Wojciech is saying is um in this world that isn't the case in this world um it's not you know virtue that leads to the good life it's the good life that allows you the privilege of the beauty of virtue and so right off the bat we have um uh Right off the in this first scene, we're kind of setting the stage. Right? We we have a, a subversion of expectations, and we also have a character here who is, um, and I think this is what people miss, maybe. But I'll I'll ask you guys what you think. Wojtek is very very smart, right? And he he's um, he might be the smartest character in the play. Actually, he's probably easily the smartest character in the play. He's the only person who has kind of these these great observations. Um, he is also seems to be going crazy, as Christina, as you pointed out. But he is the the kind of the intelligence in the play. And even the captain at the end of the scene here says, "Good Wojciech, you're a good man, a good man, but you think too much; it eats at you. You always seem so exasperated." Uh, and so we have within Wojtek, within this guy, somebody who um, who has the potential for being great, but you need the sort of 
privileges of circumstance in order to actually be Cray. Right, and I think that that's what we should see in this character is a, a character that is is deeply intelligent. So let's keep going. Okay. Um, so in the next scene, we do see kind of his his crazy coming out a little bit, right? Um, in scene 111, um, you know, Wojciech kind of sees something wrong with the world. He tells his friend Andre that the, there's a fire over the world. Uh, he, he kind of blames the Freemasons. Um, on page 113, he's talking with, with Franz. Uh, excuse me, uh, he is Franz. He's talking with Marie about the the hard fixity of the world. Um, and let's take a look at that that scene there. This is on this is the fourth scene. It's on page one thirteen, and this is Void Sick talking with Marie. Um, don't you see? This is Void Sick speaking. Don't you see? Look around you. Everything hard and fixed. So gloomy. What's moving back there? When God goes, everything goes. I've got to get back. And the child? My God, the boy. Tonight at the fair, I've say something for him. And then. Wojciech leaves. Marie, that man, seeing things like that. He'll go mad if he keeps thinking that way. He frightens me. It's so gloomy here. Dot, dot, dot. Okay. Um, and so what we see is that there's, uh, that Wojciech is kind of seeing the world as being both on fire, but also fixed, kind of fixed in place, unable to, unable to move, unable to change. Um, and then, you know, they agree to go to the fair. And so that that ends up being the kind of the landscape seems to be coming on fire. But at the same time, it's always described in these terms of unmoving, being being kind of tied down. Um, there's, there's something kind of deeply wrong in the world. What do you guys make of this idea of um, when God goes, everything goes? That's an odd little phrase in this play and at this point, right? He's describing the landscape. He's kind of seeing the world as having something deeply wrong in it, that it's kind of on fire, that you know, he blames the Freemasons. But um, what he's seeing is the world is something wrong. And he says, when God goes, everything goes. What do you suppose that line means? Any guesses on that? So why, why might, um, why might something like God or, 
religious establishment be important for a play like this? Or, excuse me, not for a play like this, uh, for these characters. Um, I guess because they're all, like, committing sins, like, Mary was cheating on him, and then he was going to kill her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there seems to be this, um, this recognition of virtue and uh, as religiously prescribed as being sort of um, just sort of something that society is making. But at the same time, it may be the case that it's it's necessary, right? That it's it's sort of uh, it's sort of a maybe a false but necessary fence to keep people in, to keep people controlled. Um, and it seems for Voidsec, the part of the problem is when you could kind of see through the BS, when you could see through the the bullshit of the world. Um, what ends up happening is you you become you you know you really become unattached from the world you detach from the world and it it's very hard to have to find your place again right this is part of the problem with Wojciech he um he in every way by the end of this play is alienated from the society in which he's in right and it seems to be that his alienation is in one way, we could characterize as madness, you know, that he's eating peas, he's kind of driven crazy by his, his wife's adultery, um, etc. But part of it, too, is seeing through or, or seeing the world for what it is, right? So it may be that, um, yeah, it may be that madness in fact is a sort of seeing seeing truth or seeing how things work and it's kind of like once you once you let go of certain institutions or, or institutional structures you also might not have you know that might let you see the world for what it is but you might not have anything to hang on to once you do and so that seems to be a, a part of this as well a part of the problem of this play as well um good so let's let's go into the monkey scene which is also this part of the scene this is scene four and so that scene four is on pages 113 and 114 um and so we have the charlatan who's in front of the booth his wife in trousers and a monkey in costume. Um, so here we have the charlatan and he says, gentlemen, gentlemen, you see here before you a creature as God created it, but it is nothing this way. Absolutely nothing. But now look at what art can do. It walks upright, wears coat and pants and even carries a saber. This monkey here is a regular soldier. So what if he, isn't much different. So what if he is still on the bottom rung of the human ladder? Hey there, take a bow. That's the way. Now you're a baron at least. Give us a kiss. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it goes on and on about 
about the monkey. Um, so what do we make of this scene and make of the, the kind of the monkey in the scene? All right, why do we have in the, this whole scene in a play of limited scenes, um, the action stops, and we have a, uh, a kind of carnival barker come out and talk about a monkey while holding a monkey. Um, you could see that this play was, in a large sense, probably probably also a closet drama. Um, I don't I don't know how uh, how much expectation Wojcik had of staging a short play with a monkey. Um, yeah, so what do you guys think of this? I feel like the monkey might almost be like sort of a metaphor for Wojtek mm -hmm. or like the way that he sees himself because mm -hmm. it's like he's at the bottom of the ladder for like humans and like he's dressed up in like a soldier costume yeah so yes yeah yeah exactly so yeah I, that that seems to be the the general idea right is that um that he is the the monkey is a a you know as he said the monkey is a regular soldier um so what if he isn't much different uh, so what if he is still on the bottom rung of human ladder, just like Wojcik? Wojcik is a soldier, a barber. He's on the, the bottom rung of um, the bottom rung of society. Uh, however, what we're getting with Wojcik is, um, you know, somebody who. Well, I'll, I'll ask you this instead of uh, just kind of monologuing. I'll ask you guys. What is the uh, advantages of being a monkey over being a Voidsec? Because right, there's obviously a comparison here between Voidsec and, and the monkey, as Christina is pointing out. Right? He's dressed like a soldier. He's on the bottom rung of, of society. We know from the first scene Voidsec is mentioning, you know, we the poor, like even if we get to heaven, we'll have to help with the thunder. Um, and so there, there's that comparison there, but what kind of, what kind of advantages does the monkey have?
I guess I'm a bit confused by the question. What do you mean by advantages? So the monkey has, you know, a, a particular place throughout this, you know, well, this is the only scene he's in, but we know he's, um, even though he's on the bottom rung of the ladder, he has a place on the ladder, right? You know, there, there's a, a position of for him in his world. Um, what we see with somebody like Wojciech is a, a person who is sort of, is sort of disconnected, eventually completely disconnected from his society. He is, um, he's sort of tortured by science. Um, he's dismissed by his superiors. He is sort of too smart for the world he's in, but his intelligence sort of provides him madness, right? His insights don't really help him. They distance him from the class he's in. Uh, and by the end of the play, you know, he, he's completely alienated and he acts in such fashion and, and kills his wife. Um, and so what we have with like the monkey is, yeah, the, the monkey and Wojciech are sort of versions of one another in one sense. However, Wojciech um, is able to stop believing in God, right? And that's what we get in this scene. You know, right after they present the monkey, or right after the charlatan presents the monkey, Wojciech has this strange story about the dog. He had a little dog who's sniffing around the rim of a big hat. And so he sat on the hat to make it easier for him to sniff. I honestly have no idea what to make of it. But right after that, he says, um, you know, don't you believe in God either? It's an honest fact. I don't believe in God. You call that grotesque? I like what's grotesque. See that? They're grotesque enough for you? So a person with his, you know, place in society, um, you know, like the, the monkey doesn't have to worry, right, about does he believe in God? Um, does he adhere to what's grotesque or not grotesque? The, the disadvantages of intellect are not something the monkey has. And normally we would think of intellect as advantaging, right, as, as bringing you ahead. Or, you know, when we look at enlightenment ideas, you know, it's the natural right of the human um, based upon the, going back to the 17th century, these rational abilities, and that's what's to be celebrated. That's what's to be, to be held up. Um, and the Romantic Era. The Romantic Era pushes against that, but it says it's, you know, kind of the emotional life of man. And that what that's what elevates humankind and, and brings humankind up and, and ahead, of, ahead of the animal world, right? Um, but here there is a distinct disadvantage to those factors that the Enlightenment era, the era of reason before it, and the Romantic era after it are, are um, see as an advantage. Um, and that's this, this intellect, the, the human quality of us, which is actually for people of a certain class and maybe even for everyone in this play, is extremely disadvantaging, right? It's extremely harmful. 
because, you know, the monkey can just keep on living and know his place. But Wojciech, with his intellect, where does that lead him? It leads him into madness. It leads him um, into kind of antisocial behavior. And everyone else around him, how do the people around him use their intellect? What are people generally in this play interested in doing? Um, I might be off. But what I think is that they're all trying to prove to him that he's going crazy. Okay. And I think that's what it was. Sure. What do they want for themselves? I mean, some of them are, are you know, um, looking at Wojciech as crazy or not crazy. I think the doctor is is maybe more interested in that than anybody else, right? It's part of his experiment, his... Um, his ridiculous pee experiment. But what do, like, what does Marie want? What does the drum major want? What do those characters want to do? Do they want to read philosophy and discuss the shortcomings of Immanuel Kant? Do they want to paint watercolors on the hills what what are these what do marie what does marie want from the drums drum major what does the drum major want from marie well they were just like having an affair basically yeah they, they just want to have sex with each other that that's it you know that that, that is one of the most dis easily discerned things people want in this play right and despite the um Despite these supposedly amazing abilities of people, of, of humankind, what we have is that how do people basically use their amazing abilities? Well, they, they don't. And most people are just going to, you know, they're, they're poor and they are kind of pulled by the same kind of animal passions that, you know, pull the monkey or pull the dog. Right, the people in this play, some of them come off as kind of animal-like. Um, and who's a more desired person in this play? Well, the drum major. You know, the drum major is considered more appealing. He's more advanced. He makes more money than uh, well than Voidsec at least. Um, and he, you know, he's able to to seduce Marie. And so Wojciech, for all his intellect, for his, um, you know, uh, 
his kind of poetry that's in him. At one point, he has a, a, a passage about um, uh, uh, talking about people dying and, and becoming dust, that type of thing, which is, um, you know, or, or everyone is a chasm in, to look, in which to look down, right? To look down into. He has these kind of poetic flourishes and this kind of understanding of the world. But his intellect, it doesn't advance the world. It doesn't advance him. All it does is to sever him from the community in which he is in. Right? Eventually, Wojciech's understanding, this promise, you know, and it's the understanding that is the promise of the generations before him, the, you know, the promise of the enlightenment, the promise of, of intellect, um, you know, is that this type of thing, this type of understanding will um, allow you to progress, allow you to enter into a higher state of living. And in this play, it really doesn't. In this play, it drives you mad and makes you a killer. Right. Any any other closing thoughts before we um, wrap up for today? All right. Well, if there is nothing else, I will let you guys go, and I will see you on Wednesday. Thank you. Thank you.